Welcome to episode 64 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagiri. And today we are talking about Yankee Doodle Dandy from 1942. We'll talk a little bit about the best actor category here in a minute, but uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy won three Oscars on eight nominations uh, at the 15th Academy Awards. You know, kind of a heavy hitter. That's a lot, that's a, that's a lot of nominations for an individual film. Uh, of course, gets a big, big, big win for James Cagney. Uh, best actor in a lead role playing George M. Cohan, uh, dancing fucking machine. He is, he is pretty much lights out in this movie. I totally understand why he won. Uh, I love Gary Cooper's performance in The Pride of the Yankees, but Cagney is kind of doing every single thing you can do in a film, <laughs> especially a musical. Uh, I, I, I read your review of this film before we started recording. You gave it a seven. That's also what I gave it just kind of down a mediocre street, except Cagney. Yeah. He's the shining light of this film. And I kind of expected that. Yeah. Uh, musicals, our track record with musicals in the 20th century has not been great. No, it hasn't. Uh, we'll find one, I'm sure. But so far, and this, you know, being a true story of a man I've never heard of, George M. Cohen, who I think, I don't know if he deserved a film about his life. Like mm, yeah. he was a, he's a Broadway star who wrote grand old flag. That's, that's great. <laughs> but has his, imp, has his like legacy really lasted? Cause I, I don't think so. No, I think <clears throat> Cagney in this film has a stronger legacy than the actual guy, which is kind oh, of for sure. Weird. But, and I don't know if that's just, you know, my fandom talking because over the course of this podcast, I've become a very big admirer of Mr. Cagney. And uh, it's cool to see that he had such range with his work in the gangster films and then his work singing, acting, dancing, and, you know, tap dancing his way to an Oscar in this film. Makes me want to look at some of his later work where he was like, you know, kind of a that guy. Uh, yeah. He's, I think, undervalued at this point. And um, I think Yankee Doodle Dandy is a decent film. I just think that it, I don't really know why I'm watching it beyond just, I want to see Cagney dance, you know? Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I felt watching. It was, <clears throat> I felt similarly to how I feel now when I'm watching every single possible Ryan Gosling role. I'm like, I just love this guy. So I'm going to watch anything he does. Even if I don't like it, even if the movie's not very good or it doesn't look very good, I'm going to watch it. I like this guy. I want to see what he's about with Cagney for us. We did an episode on Angels of Dirty Faces a long time ago now, uh, 1938 gangster film. And of course, we both were more blown away by White Heat from the 40s than we were uh, Angels of the Dirty Faces. But Cagney is one of those guys who brings, just brings the juice. Uh, and then seeing him dance and sing like this, which is really his passion over doing the gangster thing, you know, you have, you, you're the first person who told me about Cagney, you know, he, he was doing the gangster stuff just to kind of pay, pay his way through life, you know, kind of, it was kind of a fundraiser for him to be able to just fucking dance and sing and do all this stuff. And it's really cool that he won his Oscar for doing that, for doing what he loved most. Um, yeah. There's some shit in this movie that just causes it to age very poorly. It's, Right, you know, it's 1942. 
yeah. World War II. Uh, <clears throat> there's there's a lot of just straight up propaganda in it, you know, very rah rah, go America, go USA. Which I wish the movie was shorter in that regard because it's kind of saying the same thing the whole time, you know. Yeah. There's a few there's a few scenes that are interesting with his family, uh, but for the most part, it is yeah, it's, it's a lot of propaganda. There's uh, a now kind of the scene that gets most kind of hate is when there's a, there's all four family members of the Cohen family are in blackface uh, dancing on stage. And it's just very unsettling, very weird, very out of place. Uh, and, and those things cause movies like this to not live on. And people are just kind of fucking, all right, like we're done with you. We don't, we don't need you. You know, well, there's other better movies from the forties. And I understand that. But me giving it a seven is purely on the merit of Cagney, like killing it. I respect performances a lot. You know, I love when someone can truly carry a movie that's not very good. Like that's a, that's a talent. That's not easy to do. Uh, and, and Cagney does it here. And I understand why he won. Um, I want to, I want to kind of hone in on the, the best actor category. We've done plenty of, you know, talking about this category through each episode by bringing up maybe, you know, if someone was nominated and of course we're going to talk about it, you know, uh, these movies that we've done, you know, one of the first times we did this, you know, Tom Wilkinson, I remember talking about him uh, getting a nomination, you know, for in the bedroom. Uh, we've, we've done supporting stuff like JK Simmons for whiplash. I remember talking about like, dude, what a cool win. You know, we talked about Marlon Brando on the waterfront, you know, huge movie, obviously a best picture winner in, Marlon Brando, one of the best to ever do it. We've, we've done this a lot where we, we love that category because it's a big time category where a lot of huge stars are there. And it's fun, fun to kind of look at in context. Uh, if you look at any given year and you put those five guys together, like here, 1942, James Cagney, Ronald Coleman, Gary Cooper, Walter Pidgeon, and Monty Woolley. I love putting those five names together. And I love doing that through the history of the Oscars. It's a lot of fun. And there have been some unbelievable performances that have won, that have actually won this particular award. Not just great performances like Cagney and Yankee Doodle, but performances inside movies that will live forever. And I want to talk about those. I want to talk about some big time wins. So I've set up a really neat little bracket here similar to when we did uh, the Olivia de Havilland episode, we talked about best actress wins and I, I had you vote on these random ones. This is not random. Uh, I did a lot of work to kind of make sure that this represented <clears throat> not just to me, but uh, in the Oscars eyes, more, more so in the Oscars eyes here on Oscar Sunday, of course, what guys are the most important, you know, what performers are the most important in the eyes of you know, Oscar history. And so I, you know, I picked 16. I found a really good cutoff point. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of looking at these, you know, kind of statistics, if that's what you want to call it, of these guys that have won multiple awards, have multiple nominations. And so I decided to just kind of take myself out of it and not seed who I would have, you know, number one, my favorite, but the person who has the most wins. So, Let's just get started with this. Our number one seed is Daniel Day-Lewis. Three wins, six nominations, all for best lead actor. <laughs> he, do, he doesn't really do supporting. <laughs> it's not really 
that's not really uh, his thing. He did, he did back in the eighties, but once he became, you know, like last Mohicans and age of innocence, it was like, okay, well, what are we doing? You know, it's, this is the guy, he's the man. Uh, he's going to be our number one seed. The performance I have chosen is there will be blood. Okay. So that will be, that will be what you're choosing between the 16 seed. That's who he's facing the first round is our guy, Burt Lancaster. One win on four nominations. Uh, and his win, of course, is for Elmer Gantry. <laughs> so if you had to vote between Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainview and maybe Paul Thomas Anderson's best movie <laughs> or, uh, against Burt Lancaster as Elmer Gantry in Elmer Gantry, one of the coolest movies that we've been able to discover through this show. <laughs> Coming right out the gate with a homer. My God. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a special place to be because I didn't plan this. This matchup is the most you know. It's right up my alley. I love these two these two guys. I love what these movies kind of do for each other. I, I think a double feature of those is is a is a good is a good old good old day for somebody. Yeah, we've and, talked about and that. <laughs> yeah. There's no questioning it. And when I was doing this, I'm not kidding you. As far as awards and nominations Burt Lancaster is literally number 16 and I was like holy shit he's the cutoff point and he's gonna go he's gonna go against DDL the top dog uh so I had to put plain view versus gantry what what do you got just the yeah uh plain view is gantry's dark side manifested basically they're the same man and we talked about, I remember I've, we talked about this so many times on and off the podcast, just how these two characters complement each other. Yeah. And to, to cut out everything else they've done to just ignore Lincoln, my left foot, phantom thread, to just throw all that away, to throw away Atlantic city from here to eternity, toss all that away. It's just plain view <laughs> versus gantry. That's very tough. <laughs> oh. Extremely difficult. These are, yeah, these are two titans. Yeah. Every, everyone in this, as you'll see, is a fucking titan. You know, <laughs> these guys don't mess around. Burt Lancaster is technically last place with what I did. And that's, good Lord, that's saying something. We, we cut some big time people out. So without Elmer Gantry, there is no There Will Be Blood. Um, mm. the, I, I firmly believe that. I think the character of Elmer Gantry naturally evolves to a guy like Daniel Plainview for today's audiences. So with that in mind, I have to give it to Elmer Gantry. It's Burt Lancaster. Let's, let's go. Burt Lancaster. <laughs> I, I love DDL in There Will Be Blood, but he is 100% fucking irredeemable. Elmer Gantry has still has a soul. There's still some light in there. There's still a charming person that you kind of are rooting for. And Burt Lancaster brings that beauty to the character. And I think if that character doesn't have that light, the movie is way too dark to enjoy. Mm. It's, it's Burt who, who, who keeps that alive. So it's, it's got to go Burt for me. And he's a new guy, in, like in my experience, personally. You know, if I haven't seen it, it's new to me. Uh, he's new to me, and I've, I've fallen in love with this guy's performances. And I'm, I owe that to Elmer Gantry. So there's a lot of different things working for, for me on that. Yeah. God, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Daniel Day-Lewis is out. 
to push Daniel Day Lewis out in the first round of a best actor bracket. I'm going to get like somebody's going to kill me for that. The category is dominated by him. Uh, from from my left foot on, it's like he's just he's just popping up like every time he's in a movie. It's crazy, and his three wins are really cool. Uh, I, I love you know Christy Brown, Daniel Plainview, and fucking Abraham Lincoln. Like what the shit? There's really there's there's no argument uh, that would make me believe that like one of these performances is better than the other. They're they're both just awesome. So I yeah. I totally understand the Elmer Gantry discovery discovery that we made uh on our uh i want to say it was episode 30 uh when we did the apartment that best picture winner we we were both kind of like wait our gantry is going to be the movie i want to rewatch you know yeah. more and more uh it, it's the one from 1960 that can rival psycho in my mind it's the one movie that's like holy shit this is really good everybody should see it so i i'm with you on that Burt lancaster is the man um here we go. This is going to be <laughs> when I wrote this one down, I just thought, oh, Con- Connor might kill me. <laughs> he-, he might just get so frustrated with me and just fucking quit this show. <laughs> um, the number two seed in this best actor Oscar Sunday tournament <laughs> is Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy uh, has two wins in the category. One of them I have not seen. One of them we have not really talked about in the show at all. Uh, Captain Courageous. Uh, but we have talked about Boys Town from 1938. And he also has nine fucking nominations in this category. Spencer Tracy, uh, the number two seed for me. Now he has more total nominations than Daniel Day-Lewis at the one seed. But Daniel Day has three wins. Nobody else has done that. Nobody yep. else. I don't know if anybody else ever will. It's very difficult to imagine a guy stacking up three within just this category. So Spencer Tracy is the two seed with two wins, nine nominations. And I chose the, his role in Boys Town for you. And then we got our guy that we've also fallen in love with over this show. Jimmy James Stewart <laughs> at the 15 seed. One win on five nominations. Of course, that's Philadelphia Story 1940, a movie that we talked about on our Great Dictator episode, a movie that's been brought up over and over because we love James Stewart. We've covered multiple movies that he's been in. He is just a fucking icon. And he's one of the guys I totally understand the lore around James Stewart. He's the man. So good luck. Spencer Tracy, Boys Town, James Stewart, Philadelphia Story. (laughs) Oh, you chart-making fuck. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That is the chart, the chart maker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. It really. These none of these are. This been for a pain. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Spencer Tracy, Boys Town, versus Jimmy Stewart, The Philadelphia Story. Uh The Philadelphia Story. He is, if I recall, a journalist. It's been a minute since I saw Philadelphia Story. He's a journalist who falls in love yeah. with Catherine Hepburn. But Cary Grant is her ex-husband who's also in love with Catherine Hepburn. Because who, honestly, who wouldn't be in love with Catherine Yeah, Hepburn? totally get it. Yeah. Um, Jimmy is so damn likable. But Spencer Tracy is so damn honest. <laughs> like, he brings the humanity out in every character he's ever played. There's this 
like he has a through line of just playing, you know, priests and lawyers and doctors and people you're supposed to trust. And he makes you believe that you can trust them. And I, I don't trust priests to save my life, but I would follow uh, his character in Boys Town like straight into hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd run through a wall for him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. All right. Again, you have to just shut out. I got it throw inherit the wind guess who's coming to dinner throw that away i gotta throw out rear window <laughs> like just everything fucking anatomy of a murder it's all gone <laughs> it's just these two movies and with that i gotta give it to spencer tracy for boys town boys town that movie yeah. changed me like it was so beautiful i didn't expect it i thought it was gonna be a write-off and it was such a touching story and his character was so just noble and what he brought out in Mickey Rooney, an actor I've never really cared for, what Tracy was able to bring out in his performance was magical. And it's a like you you saw me buy it not too long ago. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you yeah you love this movie. Uh, yeah. I'm not surprised by this at all. Um, I think Jimmy Stewart. If it was Rear Window. It might be a little tougher, but I do I do think he has better work within his nominations. And Spencer Tracy, yeah, my favorite my favorite performance is Boys Town that I've seen. He's, with Jimmy, he's fucking incredible in Boys Town. With Jimmy, it really is that I think Philadelphia's story is a good movie. I don't think it's the one he probably should have won for. Mm. So I yeah. think that 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 holds him back on the, on this thing. Yeah, but. I totally agree with that. Yeah. You're right. If it was Rear Window, he totally would have taken this. It, it would, yeah. It makes makes the conversation a lot tougher. Yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah. This is not going to get any easier for you at all. Uh, these names, as you can imagine, you probably know which ones are coming up. You're like, oh fuck, when's this guy coming? <laughs> um, here is a fascinating, a fascinating matchup. Uh, two guys that I think are, you know, with with Bert, with Spencer, with James Stewart. Those those guys are old school. You know. Uh, not everybody in the culture now even knows who they are. Mm-hmm. These two guys, on the other hand, are still around and very much a part of our culture, no matter what happens. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say these two guys are, are two of the best ever. So our number three seed is Jack Nicholson. Two wins, eight nominations just in this category. Altogether, he has three wins. And 12 nominations. The guy is a freak. He does it in both categories. Uh, in my opinion, probably the most entertaining guy to like ever grace the movie screen. He's just fucking dynamite. You know, there's so many movies outside of his Oscar resume that are better, you know, that are like his best stuff. So uh, I, I chose his 1975 one for the cuckoo's nest performance for this. I think that movie is uh, not only maybe Milos Forman's masterpiece, but it's a, a movie that's very important to the Academy. You know, it's a big five winner. There's, you know, only three of those. And so I felt it was right to kind of have that movie represented along with Jack, who's just fucking amazing in it. He is facing uh, a guy we talked about not too long ago when we covered 1992. Mr. Al Pacino. Al Pacino has one win on five nominations. That makes him our 14 seed. Of course, you have to choose the one win, and that's Scent of a Woman. Mm. We, just watched, we just watched that not too long ago. Uh, I, I rewatched it and had a whole new perspective on it. You really liked it. We had a blast kind of talking about it. So 
I'll leave the ball on your court. Nicholson versus Pacino. Hoo-ah. That's a tough one. Uh, ball, <laughs> put the ball in the basket. <laughs> oh, boy. R.P. McMurphy versus Frank Slade. <laughs> yeah. What a matchup. God damn. I would love to see a conversation between these two characters. Oh, dude. It'd be about women the entire time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd be uh, out of control. It'd be terrible. They need, they need, they need, uh, you know, he needs Chris O'Donnell. Al Pacino needs Chris O'Donnell to kind of balance him out. And with Jack, he needs fucking Danny DeVito saying, I bet a dime. I bet a dime <laughs> over and over to balance him out. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, boy. Uh, geez, you know, three months ago, I would have said Nicholson in a heartbeat. I would have had no respect for Pacino's performance, but after seeing it, I think that you, is one of you the most... Seen, you've seen everything I'm bringing up. I know that for a fact. I, I yeah. wouldn't do that to you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, because then you'd just be like, well, I guess I'll choose the Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be annoying. Just... And boring. Like, well, I don't know. I haven't seen that. Yeah. <laughs> That's not fun at all. Because <laughs> we're good. Good to know that. But... I do think that Pacino's win incentive of a woman is maybe the most underrated and underappreciated win in oh, yeah. at least recent oh, yeah. history. Um, but Jack, and I, I love that you can just say Jack and almost every movie fan on the planet knows exactly who you're fucking talking about. <laughs> yep. I mean, that recognizable is incredible. And R.P. McMurphy is a national fucking treasure. That man just sticking it to the, you know, sticking it to the man, standing up for mentally impaired people who are being just, you know, mistreated, just not giving a shit in the best way possible. A true rebel with a cause. It's got to mm-hmm. be Jack Nicholson and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. That is yeah. pretty much a no brainer, but I, I do like that. I, I did have to take a moment. Al Pacino's uh, performance in Scent of a Woman is definitely worth remembering and worth watching. It's a great movie that, I don't know why it gets a lot of hate. Like, yeah, he was great in The Godfather. He was great in Scarface. But that doesn't mean he was also not, doesn't mean he wasn't great in this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. People get hung up on, it has to be their best performance. That just doesn't, that isn't always, that's not always going to happen. And sometimes an actor can have more than one great performance. It can happen again. And Pacino is one of those guys. And I urge all you guys Give Santa for Woman another chance. If you haven't, if you have seen it, try it again. If you haven't seen it, give it give it a shot. It's definitely worth a watch. It's on Prime right now. Check it out. It's yeah. It's even if you haven't yeah. If you haven't seen it in like like years, it's it's worth it just to see fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like whoa, look at this guy coming on the scene, and he's just lights out. You know, <laughs> he's so good in that movie. So even if you're like, oh, I haven't seen it in a while, it's precious to watch it on that front because he's no longer with us and it's right at the beginning of his career and just that alone, you know, and then you get to watch Pacino, this blind ex, you know, military like freak who's just got a wild mouth. So yeah, I don't know why it has the, well, I do know why, cause he didn't win for Godfather or Serpico or whatever, uh, but, or dog day afternoon, but this, this, this is a, this is a great role. I'm with you, man. And a lot of people, I think, see that as an Oscar that was stolen from Denzel Washington, Malcolm which is X. unfortunate. Yeah, which, great performance as well. But I think that year had a lot of strong competition, 
and it really could, it was anyone's game. And yeah, Pacino took it. So yeah. And I'm happy for him. I think it was a great win now, which is great. It really does come down. You got to watch this shit before you judge it. You always have to never judge a film before you've actually sat down and watched it. Yeah. 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 Never, never only use your, your frame of reference, make it grow. Cause then, yeah. Cause you don't want to be a cynical bastard. Who's just like, Godfather, 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 Godfather. It's like, yeah, great movie. Incredible. It also won every other fucking award. So, you know, like, let's leave it be. It got to win best picture. So both times. So let's like, let's leave it. You know, uh, I think, uh, I think looking at it that way, you, you have to look at it in context. Like you're saying, look at the year, look at the competition and then watch the movies and actually make a call. So uh, yeah, I do think it is. I do think you have to think about it. Uh, One Flew Over is Definitely one of my favorite movies and favorite books of all time. So it's however kind of biased, but I would say on a personal level, I do enjoy Jack's performance. I knew it gets a little bit more. (laughs) I knew it. I knew you did. I know you love that movie. 1997. Great movie. Greg Kinnear's killing it in that movie as well. Uh, Yeah, I I, I knew that. I knew you were kind of like close to that one. Go sell crazy somewhere else. We're all stocked up here. <laughs> He's such a prick. Oh, all right, yeah. yeah, Jack's the man. He is. He is. So he will be showing up again. Um, moving right along. Holy shit! Uh, the four seed is Mr. Marlon Brando. Oh, two wins on seven nominations altogether in the category. I chose his role in On the Waterfront. Uh, and then the thirteen seed. <laughs> I guess our generation's Marlon Brando, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> uh one win on five nominations of course is one win is the revenant a movie we both love so uh let's let's see what you got man leo versus brando jesus christ these are impossible yeah sorry uh yankee duel dandy i'm sorry we're just gonna be talking about this stuff more uh if you came for yankee duel dandy fast forward a little bit but (laughs) this is great (laughs) oh yeah there's only so much i can take of talking about you know, a Jimmy Cagney musical. This is, this is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, Oscar Sunday. This is the only place we can really do this kind of yeah. stuff. So got to have some fun. Okay. Brando in on the waterfront specifically another case where I got to just throw their careers away and talk about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how do you even, yeah. <laughs> Boy on the waterfront was a, was a hell of a first watch and it's a very strong film that still resonates today in many ways. Brando is a huge part of that playing. Um, oh, fuck. Terry. Something. Uh, Ho- Hoyt or, or am I thinking that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a the other character. Yeah. <laughs> Mallory. That's, maybe. Malloy. That awesome. Terry Malloy. Terrence, that's what it was. Terry Malloy. Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah. I just, just looked it up. That's hilarious. <laughs> thinking Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg putting them in the same realm as Marlon Brando <laughs> and on the waterfront Brando plays a peacock and you got to let him fly, man. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. It's a, a guy who, you know, was a title, a title fighter, a prize fighter who lost his chance, ended up in deep with the mob is trapped as an enforcer, has no way out, wants to do better. It's a great, it's a great role. He plays off Lee J Cobb and Carl Malden and Rod Steiger so well. Uh, and then Leo, 
in The Revenant, the film that finally got him the gold where he had to pretty much just put himself through a living hell to get it. Yeah. Uh, the Revenant is such a cool film. It looks amazing. It's one of the most gorgeous films of the 2010s. And Inuritu is a huge part of that. And his cinematographer, whose name escapes me. Uh, Leo in uh, that movie. For, for, for The Revenant? Uh, yeah. It's hard to say his name. Emmanuel Lubieski, or yeah, I'm not really sure how to say, it, but he's a fucking yeah. He's a he's the man. That's the guy. <sighs> Leo and the Revenant. It's very much a um a, like an a, a a lone performance. He's alone for most of the film, going through the wilderness and just surviving. He <laughs> the shit he puts himself through though. Damn man. Enjoy, yeah. yeah, enjoy that gold glint off the mantle. You earned it. But Brando and On the Waterfront is a fully fleshed out character with hopes and dreams and wants and desires and pain and love. And I feel like DiCaprio in The Revenant, as cool as his character is, as exciting as the film is, it's it's vengeance. It's cold vengeance. There's nothing else behind those eyes. And I got to give it to Brando. I think on the waterfront has the bigger legacy. The film has lasted longer. I mean, that's not really fair, but it, it's lasted long it, enough. I know what you mean. I know what yeah. you mean. It's legacy yeah. is over 70 years has not been tarnished. Whereas no. the revenant people have already stopped talking about the revenant. It's crazy. <laughs> they kind of have. And I don't think that's fair either. Neither but do I. On the waterfront, Brando especially brings the pain and showed everybody that because up to that point, he was kind of a, you know, kind of a ruggedly handsome, you know, shock actor, almost. It was like the, the triple threat of Julius Caesar, Streetcar Named Desire, and On the Waterfront proved to Hollywood that this dude was a player. Yeah. And, yeah, taking home the gold, his first statue for The Waterfront was well-deserved, and uh, I had a blast talking about that movie. That was that was a great film. Yeah, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't, can't really argue with that. I think... On the Waterfront is going to be an episode I have no problem redoing on the show to do a Best Picture Showdown one day. It's an absolutely, it's an absolute icon. I think it was up for ten Oscars that 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 ceremony, and you know, won a lot. The uh, only huge, reason it was a big four or a big five winner is because it did not have a Best Actors nomination. If it mm. if it had won that, it would have been a big five, which is beautiful. And doesn't that make sense? Wouldn't it make sense if it was? It happened one night, 30s, on the waterfront, 50s, Cuckoo's Nest, 70s, Lambs, 90s. You would skip every decade. You know, I think that would, that would be really cool. <laughs> then we, we would be due for one, like now. <laughs> yeah. We'd be a little bit past due. It should have been in the 2010s. Maybe Parasite should have done it. Uh, who knows? Really fun to think about. Uh, yeah, I have no qualms with that. Marlon Brando moves on to the second round. Um, here's, here's an interesting one. I'm very curious where you're going to go. I think I have a guess, but I'm curious to hear the debate. Uh, five seed is Mr. Dustin Hoffman. Uh, two wins, seven nominations in the category. I always forget how decorated he is. I'm like, good God, he's, he's super popular, super you know, well-respected in the, the award circuit. He's just kind of did everything. Uh, I ch- chose his role in Kramer versus Kramer uh, because we, of course, Talked a lot about Kramer vs. Kramer on uh, Best Picture Showdown with the 1979 movies. Had an absolute blast. He is fucking crushing it in that movie. Uh, 
he's the five seed going against the 12 seed. Another guy who's been, I've heard plenty of times talked about as the greatest actor of all time. We've kind of had that discussion on here when we did awakenings. Uh, it's Mr. Robert De Niro. One win, five nominations. Of course, Raging Bull is that one win in this category. So went ahead and chose that. I know you love Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull. You know, you like that, that role for Bobby D. So <laughs> Hoffman versus De Niro. Let's hear it. Ooh. All right. Uh, I'm glad you chose Kramer over Rain Man because I definitely prefer his performance in Kramer a lot more. Me too. And the movie too. You know, it's just yeah. Kramer's Kramer's great. It's a best picture winner that I have just no problem with. No problem. I went into that fully expecting to hate it. I thought this was going to be trite. I thought this was going to be dull, stupid. I was just crying my fucking eyes out. And then yeah. on, the, on the episode, I got really emotional. Yeah. It's, that, that was movie, a great episode. <laughs> it was. It was a fantastic episode. I look back on that one with fond memories. Me too. And weirdly enough, Awakenings is the other one where I got really choked up. So this is an interesting pair here. That was uh, the, that was a whole other animal. Uh, we talked yeah. about De Niro, of course. We talked a lot about fucking Robin Williams. Yeah. Uh, and, and then that's when we found, about, found out about Anton First, the yeah. uh, production designer who passed away. Shortly after working on those movies in the early 90s, he worked on Batman. Fucking, I mean, yeah, so really cool stuff happening on here. And it comes back up through this kind of stuff. Ted Kramer versus Jake LaMotta. That's a quick fucking boxing match. But in, <laughs> when it comes to films, <laughs> performance here, uh, De Niro versus Hoffman, that's a very interesting matchup. Extremely. Uh, De Niro in Raging Bull is really good. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the one he maybe should have won for. I know that's a hot, that's a fucking hot take. I know that. Uh, Raging Bull is a cool movie. I think De Niro should have won for Awakenings. Um, but that's the whole other, yeah. <laughs> Not going to get any arguments here, you know. Um, oh. Throw it yeah, away. I love, love De Niro. Love, love a lot of his work. So, yeah, nothing here. My personal favorite is Cape Fear. Yeah. But that, that comes against fucking Denzel and Al Pacino. So. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Ted Kramer is such a great character. You never get to see. I feel like you don't see a lot of single dad films at that time that aren't played for laughs. Hmm. It's usually, you know, Mr. Mom, like, what? Michael Keaton has to take care of the kids. Whoa. It's always yeah. that shit. But then <laughs> you look at Kramer versus Kramer, and he's a, a genuinely decent dad whose wife leaves him because she's unhappy. She doesn't have adventure. And he's left taking care of this kid. And at first he's like, you know, I don't know what to fucking do. But then to see him learn, to see him want to be better for his son, to see him want this kid to su succeed and want himself to succeed and know he can do this on his own is fucking inspiring and really enriching. And then when Meryl Streep comes back and is like, I want my son, you feel for the guy. You're like, fuck off. You abandoned your son. Like, you can't do this. Like, I get why he just threw the fucking wine glass against the wall. Like, I was just as pissed as he was. Oh, dude. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's a few scenes in that where he is doing some of the best work I've ever seen. And, yeah, th that makes this very difficult. Very difficult because Raging Bull is its own unique 
you know, it's black and white. It's this really unique Scorsese boxing movie with De Niro doing crazy physical stuff. But there's something about Ted Kramer, <laughs> something about Ted Kramer that like that scene in the in the the kitchen, you know, when he's trying to make breakfast and it's going horribly, you know, <laughs> he's burning stuff and he doesn't even know how to pour orange juice and make coffee. It's brilliant. Uh, to me, man, it's it's when the kid challenges his authority with the ice cream. Oh, man. He, he grabs him and like spanks him and puts him to bed. And the kid yells like, I want mom. And he yells back, well, I'm all you got. Like. Jesus, man. Yeah, fuck. I think what brings it out is that I am 100% certain I am never going to be a heavyweight boxer. <laughs> but I could have kids one day, and I, it could go bad, and I could end up in that situation. And you never know. And you hope you end up doing the right thing. You hope you, you want to be better for your kids. And there's something about that movie that just makes me think about my own family and that performance was so humanizing and personable. And I, I got to give it to Dustin Hoffman. I love it. Oh, man. <laughs> Robert De Niro. See you later. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman moves on. Ted Kramer. I like that a lot, man. I think, I think that's totally fair. The, you know, it's a very valid way to kind of to, to look at both performances and, and choose one for personal reasons. And I, I, I think I'm with you. I think I would give it my vote as well. Love, love that year. God, 1979 is one of the best movie years of all time. Um, I never in a million years thought I would be okay with the film that defeated Apocalypse Now for Best Picture. I know, I know. <laughs> I've, had, I've had people tell me that listen to that episode, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? How the hell? And I'm like, just watch it. Just watch it. Yeah, just that's all it. you got to do is do the work and you'll understand. Yeah, watch and watch. Watch him breaking away. Watch Norma Ray. Watch all that jazz. Those movies are really good. It's a cool group. Yes. Um, yeah, that was that's that's wonderful. So the five seed Hoffman moves on. That means we are on to quite possibly the most interesting matchup of the first round. Uh, we've had some stuff that's lined up, you know, like Daniel Day versus Burt Lancaster. That made sense. Brando versus DiCaprio. That makes sense. Now here we <laughs> here we have polar opposite performers. Um, the sixth seed is Mr. Gary Cooper. Two wins, five nominations. Chose his role in High Noon, 1952, of course. Uh, and then his competitor is the 11th seed, and that is Denzel motherfucking Washington. <laughs> One win, six nominations in the category. And of course, that's for his role in Training Day. 2001 yeah. versus 1952. Gary Cooper versus Denzel. Jesus what the Christ. hell? Marshall Will Kane versus Alonzo Harris. Holy yeah. shit. That is a movie I would see. <laughs> Me too. I would watch those two guys just, yeah, strategically going at each other, like a no country type type atmosphere. Could that be a better representation of lawful good versus lawful evil? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's fucking perfect. <laughs> this, is, this is great. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. High noon. Uh, one of my favorite Westerns, super unconventional yeah. film. Uh, Will Kane is a noble hero whose town abandons him because they're afraid he's going to fail. After he spent years defending them, they won't spend a day defending him. And to see him lose his confidence over the course of the film and still pull it off is 
pretty remarkable. The moment where he just takes his star off and throws it on the ground, like fuck all of you, and then takes off. Mm, beautiful. Um, <laughs> Alonzo is one of my favorite villains of the 2000s. Denzel Washington playing a bad guy. He doesn't do it often, but when he does it, he fucking goes for it. <laughs> it's There's nothing to like about that character at all. He is pure fucking evil. Ever. The entire movie. It, yeah, it is uh, committed fucking chaos. Like, I'm just going, you know, total fucking anarchy. I don't care. I'm going to do anything in my power to just fuck everybody over. Yeah. yeah. It's Everyone. Aw- it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> It's the ultimate abuse of power. And yeah, oh, this is so hard. <laughs> it works so well for the character. The, the way that guy get you know, his ending is perfect. Those films actually complement each other in a very weird way. High noon and training day. It, it, they kind of do in the way that DDL and Burt Lancaster, Elmer Gantry, uh, Daniel Plainview, just kind of like, wait a minute, there's shades of you guys in, in each other. Yeah. That's why I love going to these old films. You see the building blocks. It's so cool. Um, oh boy, this is a this is a difficult one. This is tough. <laughs> um, just because of the how memorable he is and how twisted and how just unforgiving, it's got to be Denzel oh. in, tra- in Training Day. Man, <laughs> I love when villains win Oscars. Because you get to see the man Same. behind the villain accept that award. And nine times out of ten, it's a humble, like, thank you so much, kind of quiet man. And I get that from Denzel. He's like, you know, I just love the work. But you put him in front of a camera and you give him that script and he's going to fucking go insane. Yeah. And, oh, every second of that, you know, King Kong ain't got shit on this guy and neither does Gary Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. I love, love Cooper. Love, love that guy to death. But Denzel. <laughs> Denzel is Alonzo specifically. Uh, and, and he, and maybe one of the coolest, you know, somewhere in the top five, top 10 coolest accepted speeches of all time from Denzel saying that they knocked out two birds with one stone with him and Halle Berry and monsters ball. Hilarious. True. (laughs) You know, uh, he, he, he's the fucking man. Denzel's the man and that role. I think most people would say it's that or Malcolm X. Those are the two roles that just, he has those cards that he can always play. Like, yeah, he's in the little, he's in the little things, you know, he's in kind of some dumb action movies, but he's, he's got those cards and not a lot of people do. He won two Oscars. Let the man, you know, play in the sandbox. Let him do what he wants. (laughs) Yeah. He has a total of two wins on eight nominations and six nominations in the, in the lead actor category. And that one win. So he, he moves on. He moves on in the second round. I love it. Uh, we're almost done with the first round here. Um, let's move on to the 7-10 matchup. I think this is a no-brainer. Uh, I think even more for you than me. Uh, this is the one I wrote down where I was like, eh, yeah, I don't think, I don't think there's much conversation to have. Uh, the seven seed is Tom fucking Hanks. Two wins, five nominations. I chose Forrest Gump because that's one of the most iconic characters in American cinematic history. And then he's going against Sir Lawrence Olivier with one win on nine nominations. Of course, I chose Hamlet because that's the one win. And it's a movie we've covered on this show that we do not like. (laughs) That is just incredibly unfair for Lawrence Olivier. (laughs) Because 
<laughs> it doesn't matter. Anybody he's not, he's against here is he's going to lose. Anybody he's against in this thing. You're not wrong. And he, you know, Olivia is considered one of the greatest actors of all time. But honestly, what yeah. I've seen personally, I've, I've not been that blown away, which is unfortunate. It's also just not our bag. So far, Shakespeare has not really been our favorite thing. These old school adaptations that are just kind of like just over the top. Well, I've, I've seen him in some non Shakespeare stuff. Like he had a he was he had a supporting role in Spartacus. He was the bad guy in Marathon. Yeah, Man. yeah. And he's good, but Goat, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I'm with you. And then Hanks. I, I recently watched. Um, there's this Netflix series called The Movies That Made Us, mm. and uh, I watched some of those, and they talked about how difficult it was to get Forrest Gump off the ground and how it went like through so many different scripts and changed studio hands and studio heads who slashed the budget and Zemeckis and Hanks putting up their own money to finish this thing. And just everything that went into this movie, it made me appreciate it so much more. And Hanks especially is the glue that keeps that thing from falling apart because he plays like right up against the line. So close to being offensive, but not. And it's just because the character of Forrest Gump is so goddamn endearing. There's no, you can't hate him. He's, he's the nicest dude in the world. All he wants to do is help his friends. And you feel that just, you know, his relationship with Lieutenant Dan and fucking Jenny and Bubba. And you, just, you love it. You love what he, everything he tries to do for them. And Hanks has such a, you know, he, he's considered like, you know, the nicest dude in Hollywood for a reason. And the characters he plays, he often brings that nicety into the characters, and Forrest Gump is no exception. And it's interesting that, like, is there any particular reason you went Gump and not Philadelphia? Uh, I like him in Philadelphia better, but I think Forrest Gump is one of the, of this category, maybe the most recognizable character in the entire category's history. Not a lot of people are going to be like, Oh yeah, fucking Burt Lancaster, Elmer Gantry, or or no, or even no Denzel Washington's name in Training Day. That his name is Alonzo. But Forrest Gump is the name of the movie. It's all time. It's also a movie that we've brought up on this show when we did Pulp Fiction, and we kind of talked about, oh, we wish Pulp or Shawshank would have won over Forrest Gump. It's just just not the way the cookies crumbled. I think it's an all time performance uh, as far as all that stuff goes, the culture stuff. Yeah, uh, I love him in Philadelphia. That's I've seen Philadelphia exactly one time, and that's enough. That movie—that's all it takes. Yeah. Jesus Christ, is that a hard movie to watch? But Forrest yeah. Gump. Um, yeah, there's a moment in Gump that I think gives it to him by default, and it's the moment when he finds out he has a son, mm. and the first thing he asks is, "Is he smart?" <laughs> like, he's not like, "Oh my God, I have a kid." He's like, "Is he? Is he okay?" And oh my god, I, I tear up every time. It's I, I yeah. have a soft spot for Forrest Gump. I know we've talked a lot of shit about it in the past, but that's only because the films it was up against, whew, heavy hitters. It's not its fault. Yeah, it's really not the movie's fault that it was that it beat out these two kind of cinephile, like definition of cinephile movies in Shawshank and Pulp Fiction. These movies that people adore. Yeah, but definitely Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Yeah. Olivier has yet to really impress me, which I know makes me sound like a fucking snob, but sorry. I mean, it's not my fault. 
I think it makes you sound the opposite of a snob because a snob would be like, oh, Lawrence Olivier, he should be moving on to the next round. You know, it's like, no, no, straight up Gump, especially Gump versus Hamlet. It's no fucking competition. I sat through two hours and 40 minutes of fucking Hamlet. I, yeah. I, I was not impressed. I don't get it. I don't, I don't need it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, that's, that's, yeah, that's, I knew, I thought that was going to be the easiest one of this whole opening round. That one or this one, this next one. And this is the last one of the first round. We'll move on to the second round, speed this thing up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> the eight seat is Sean Penn, a man who has, you know, sneakily grabbed five nominations in the category and two wins. I don't think a lot of people know that or think that when they think Sean Penn. He's going against the guy who just won. The nine seed, Anthony fucking Hopkins. <laughs> Two wins on five nominations. Uh, sorry, on four nominations. Anthony Hopkins, I chose his, of course, his performance from 1991 as Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. A role that could take this whole thing. Okay. Uh, it was Milk, right? With Penn? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like um, Sean Penn and Mystic River, but I think whenever, you know, 20, 30 years from now, when we look back, I think playing Harvey Milk in the Gus Van Sant movie 2008, great movie. I think that's going to be the one that people will point to. Yeah. I, I, th- I think he's just doing extremely good work. It's, the, it's his last nomination in this category. You know, he hasn't gotten one since. Uh, and it's, yeah, really, really cool win. I also think Mystic River, he's like teetering on supporting. Like he's not, you know, there's a lot of main characters in that movie, you know, yeah. with, uh, with Kevin Bacon, Tim Robbins and him all kind of sharing to me. Whereas in Milk, he's fucking running the show. That's true. Milk taught me a lot about who Harvey Milk was and his impact on gay rights and gay history and American history. Yeah. And I thought his performance, Sean Penn's performance was just heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. I was so blown away by how much that film got to me. Uh, I gave it a nine and I did not expect to do that. Um, but this is Hannibal Lecter we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean... I, I, <laughs> it's impossible to ignore that that performance. It it's the film that he, like turned Anthony Hopkins into one of the most respected actors in Hollywood, and well deserved too. It's it, the character for so little screen time dominates that entire movie like a fucking black cloud. It's insane. He is such a presence about him. His, He's on the screen for like a total of like 16 minutes or some crazy yeah. shit like that. But you it's, feel it's him bonkers. the entire time just in her head. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the fact that he never blinks, the mixed metaphors, the way he taunts her with just his words. He knows how to get in everybody's head and stay there. And it's the fact that he manipulates an entire murder investigation just so he can escape from prison is so smart and so cool. And the prison break is fucking gnarly. And that movie is one of the greatest films to ever win Best Picture. And I think, you know, Hopkins and Foster both deserve that win. And 
I, I give it to Anthony Hopkins. It's a no brainer for me on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins moves on with these. Uh, like you said, an amazing movie, uh, best picture winner. That's just uh, lived on and hasn't really gone anywhere in the horror community in the Oscar community. It's, it's just fantastic. Uh, one of the most uh, unique movies to win best picture, just because it's a, it's a through and through horror genre film. And that's, that's just rare. We've seen that that just does not happen. So it's cool that it broke those barriers. And in a year where I think JFK like really has something to say, it's a movie that kicks ass and has amazing performances. And like Oliver Stone just is definitely at the top of his game. So uh, that's crazy. You know, that I, I still think lambs is probably, yeah, it's probably right that it won. <laughs> Dude, I, I've not stopped thinking about how fucking good JFK was. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's perfect. It's a perfect movie. Uh, Man, we have eight actors here that have moved on in the second round. This is going to get even tougher. Uh, Now we kind of know where you're at with each role. Let's see what you do matching matching them up against other people. So let's get straight to it. I'm going to skip over the one seed because he's, or the 16 seed. Burt Lancaster. Ah, let's just do it now. Let's just go in order. Uh, let's go Burt Lancaster, Elmer Gantry. Uh, a total, you know, he has one win, total of four nominations in the category. Going against the ninth seed who just moved on, Anthony Hopkins. Sounds so lamps. What, what do you got? <laughs> oh, boy. Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs, I absolutely love. And he's such a strong villain, and he's exciting, and he's creative, and he's you want him to like you. It's weird. He's, he's a bad guy who feels like, you know, you get along with him. It's, it's yeah. odd. And of course you've got, you know, Buffalo bill to kind of balance him out. Like, you know, is this guy as evil as this dude who's ripping women apart? Uh, and then you've got Elmer Gantry, a very layered performance of a man who I think truly wants to do the right thing, but finds himself incapable of doing it. He doesn't know how to be a good person, but he wants to be a good person. I get that vibe from Elmer Gantry. He sees this, this dodge as a way to maybe find peace with himself and it gets out of hand, but you're kind of with him the whole time. You, you, you feel this journey, you understand it and you want to see him succeed. And in that respect, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to give it to Burt Lancaster. Whoa. <laughs> that's fucking that's crazy. I want to see how this plays out. I <laughs> Jesus Christ, I wasn't ready for that. I thought you'd say it's really close, but overall, you know, Hannibal Lecter is just the, the super iconic character. Elmer Gantry, the 16th seat, has taken down Daniel Day Lewis and Anthony Hopkins. Dude, believe me, I am, I am just as, if not more, surprised than you are. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. All right. Um, okay, let's see. The two seed moved on to the second round, so we'll go over to the other side of the bracket here. Um, that would be Spencer Tracy in Boys Town. Two wins, nine nominations in the category. Going against the seven seed, Tom Hanks. Two wins, five nominations. Forrest Gump versus Spencer Tracy in Boys Town. What's his name in Boys Town? I want to say uh, Father Flynn. Is that that sound Flynn sounds right. Let's let's check it out. Boys Town. Father Flanagan. Flanagan. Okay, there you go. 
Flanagan against Forrest. Yeah. <laughs> Nate, the two most likable, decent human beings in this in this bunch here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Denzel off camera. I'm talking characters. characters. Oh, characters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> else is everybody yeah. else has a little shit in them. Yeah. Oh, Forrest Gump versus Father Flanagan. Um, I'm going to give it to Tom Hanks. I I love Forrest Gump just as a character. I love him telling his story and just all the interactions he has and how there's not a bad bone in this guy's body. He believes in the right thing. Just, you know, the phrase, or the, the line, you know, I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. That's mm. beautiful. And yeah. That's all you need. Yep. Beautiful. I, I figure I figured you'd you'd lean that way, but that's that's a good that's a good little matchup in Connor's world. Hanks versus Tracy. <laughs> uh let's see. The three seed. Back to Jack Nicholson. Two wins, eight nominations. We're taking his role as RP McMurphy and one flew the cuckoo's nest against Alonzo, Denzel Washington in training day, the eleventh seed, one win on six nominations. I can picture Alonzo being the piece of shit cop that arrested R.P. McMurphy. Yeah. And R.P.'s like trying to convince him, like, come on, man. Like, I'll, I'll join your crew. What are you going to do? I got to get one of those fucking vests. Yeah. He just like tries to bite him. He's like, ah, I'm crazy. See, take me to the, take me to the lockup. Mental hospital. Come on. Take me there. Come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, boy. It's Jack. It's got to be Jack. Uh, R.P. McMurphy is just such an iconic character and such a fun piece of shit to watch. Uh, Alonzo, there's just such a darkness. You're kind of afraid of what he's going to do next. With R.P., you're like, oh, what's he going to do next? <laughs> you're just kind of waiting for the... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he he leads this crew of misfits in a way that is just, you know, like inspiring. And somehow this kind of weird weird guy who's trying to just fuck everything up and just create chaos he's like yeah he's having a blast with fucking martini i i love danny devito in that movie oh my god <laughs> he's an agent of chaos at first but when he he um oh brad Dourif's character billy yeah. yeah yeah when he latches on to him kind of becomes kind of an unofficial mentor and when he you know kills himself out of fear of what his mother's gonna think of him rp's reaction to that is so human and just like, you know, it's very much a, you killed my friend reaction. Like, how could you do this to him? And he had an opportunity to leave. He could have just fucked off, but he didn't. And yeah, it cost him, but he inspired hope in these people in a way that they didn't have. And Oh yeah. It's fantastic. He gives them all a reason to like, wake up and see what's going to happen the next day. Uh, And when he's, you know, he's offering the, the gum, it's like, you son of a bitch, you can talk. <laughs> and he's so excited. He's, you know, stomping his feet. You know, that is, that is peak Jack Nicholson. That run that, I mean, he does Chinatown in 74, Last Detail in 73, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And then, of course, he does The Shining, our, our personal favorite, <laughs> as Jack Torrance. And you just, the, all of that assholery and that just like, what is he doing? It's so prevalent all the time, always, but you love him. You just love him to death. Straight up. Yeah. I mean, like the scene where he's, you know, just calling out the baseball game 
is so oh, endearing and like god pure rebel it's it's perfect yeah that oh that is that's something else that scene gives me chills everywhere come on he's running second base come on, come on. And they're all looking at the tv like it's it's a, he's like a he's like conducting an orchestra yeah it's beautiful what he's doing in that movie an orchestra of hope yeah i, I love that love that character love that movie no arguments here uh training day i think while it's an awesome movie uh and it's, it's just wicked entertaining there are times when the screenplay is like okay it's a little this isn't too life. coincidental yeah. it's a little like yeah oh, that, <laughs> yeah that works out great for you yeah and it's and, and they make los angeles seem like it's this tiny town <laughs> of all the gangbangers like, in all the world you just happen to end up in the bathtub of a guy whose sister you saved earlier that day yeah on a completely different side of town of los angeles one of the biggest cities in the world yeah i all that stuff is like okay okay you had to make it fit okay but uh one of the coos nest just is just a masterful kind of story so it has that going for it too behind it um all right this is the last round or sorry last matchup of the second round and then we'll move on to the final four this is this is good stuff uh we have the four seed versus the five seed uh both have two wins and seven nominations. Gotta love that. Marlon Brando on the waterfront versus Dustin Hoffman, Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> both best picture winners too. This is cool. <laughs> oh boy. Oh fuck. Um damn. Yeah. <laughs> Could have been a contender. Both both movies we've done on the show. Yeah. Both movies that were first-time watches that I really enjoyed, mm. but only Kramer versus Kramer got in my head, and I'm gonna give it to Dustin Hoffman. I love it. Yeah, Jesus, I don't know these these things always make me like learn a little bit about myself. Oh yeah, for sure. I think when you just like you're doing every time you're like I'm throwing out Brando's other performances. I'm talking about. On the waterfront and Kramer's Kramer and just kind of putting it on the table and just, yeah, of course your mind's going to think about how awesome these guys are. But when you just put them head to head, it makes you really think about which performance do I like better, not actor. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Cause you know, you chose Burt Lancaster over Anthony Hopkins. You've seen tons of Hopkins performances, a guy that you've grown up with, but Lancaster in Elmer Gantry is, is something to behold. Yeah, I've seen Silence of the Lambs a hundred times. I've seen Elmer Gantry once. And this dude has not left my head ever since. <laughs> oh, I love it, man. So cool. Uh, all right, well, we're, we're at our final four. This is a very interesting group. Um, we have the 16 seed, the 7 seed, the 5 seed, and the 3 seed. Fascinating. So we'll start with the, the 3 versus the 7, and that is Jack Nicholson, Versus Tom Hanks. Jack. It's Jack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, At this uh, point, like, there's not much through. to explain about the films. Like, y'all know what I think of these movies. It's exactly. going to be pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's see. Other side. 16 verse 5. Burt Lancaster, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Burt. Yeah, it's definitely Bert's. Oh, I love how far he's gotten. 
it's that so character cool. is so fucking creative and so interesting and so i could watch a 12 season tv show about that guy it's, i, I want to know yes. everything about elmer gantry is that even his real fucking name probably not <laughs> probably not probably not yeah uh, it really is my my one of my favorite things that a movie can do effectively and kind of make me feel like no, i don't want to say the word dumb but make me feel almost like they get me they like they, they actually got me with this i'm so distracted by this yeah. that I, I i kind of disregard everything else elmer gantry is, is the perfect example uh of characters that i've fallen in love with since i've been a kid is these kind of these guys that are mischievous and have these agendas that you don't exactly know about and you don't know exactly about their past but it's definitely fucking checkered and you're just seeing this two hour glimpse into this specific time and place in their life. Yeah. And that's why it reminds me so much of Daniel Plainview. It's like, dude, what happened to this guy as a kid? <laughs> like, fuck, you know, we only see him as most of his adult life as he's uh, fathering a young son and then going up until his son is in his twenties. And that's it. That's all we see. We don't see the end. We don't see how he got so fucking evil. <laughs> like it's, I, I love shit like that. It kind of leaves you, bits and pieces to just kind of, all right, kind of put these together myself and just enjoy this particular snippet of life I'm seeing. And Elmer Gantry is, is great. Yeah. There's certain movies that treat you like, like new friends, like mm, you just yes. met this person. You're now a part of their life going forward. You don't know their whole story. All you know is what you are now a part of. And I love when that happens. Yep. Me too. Me too. It's, it's, Something I found out as I kind of confronted, why do I like these things? It's one of the things I found out, oh, that's why I love Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, is that that basically is what the master is. It's like this fucking guy that comes back from the war and is clearly like a little bit messed up. You know, something definitely happened, but we don't know exactly what. And then you have PSH on the other end, just like, oh my God, I definitely don't want to know how he got there. <laughs> like, that's That guy's fucking losing his mind. You know, and Boogie Nights, Burt Reynolds' character is like, okay, yeah, there's like 10 movies that could be about his life before Mark Wahlberg comes into play. I love, I love that trope. I love when a guy has that kind of talent that he can do that with his characters where I'm like, I, who gives a shit? This is so fascinating. Yeah. How does one become a pig fuck cult leader versus yeah. the yeah. king of porn in the San Fernando Valley. In the yeah. Ages. How does, how, like what, what kind of decisions lead you to have that kind of a life? You'll never know. Ex ex exactly. Uh, Burt Lancaster in, um, uh, why can't I, Atlantic city, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> like, it got to the point where I was viewing that film as a fucking sequel to Elmer Gantry. Like this is the next step in that guy's life. Yeah. Yeah, of course yeah. he's going to become a fucking gangster. <laughs> Why not? He's been a preacher. He's been a card player. He's been a con man. Cross this off the fucking bucket list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes, it makes total sense. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I love this stuff, man. Well, here we are. Here we are. The, the final round is 16 seed Mr. Burt Lancaster, who almost didn't even make the cut to be in this tournament. He is in the final with his one win on four nominations, Elmer Gantry versus Jack Nicholson, one of the most decorated actors of all time. Two wins, eight nominations just in this category as R.P. McMurphy, one from the Cuckoo's Nest. Here we go. 
I take it you were not expecting this to be the final here. This looks like what it would be for me. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. I, I would have had a hard time. That first round matchup between Burt and Daniel Day. I love, love, love There Will Be Blood. I've seen it so many times. It would be very hard. I was stumped by you taking Elmer over Hannibal Lecter. That blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. Me too. I got to just be honest with myself and think like, what? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what it is. There's some it factor that Bert has in Elmer Gantry that just makes me want to keep watching. That movie could be eight hours long and I would not stop watching it. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> and both Elmer Gantry and R.P. McMurphy have that quality of like, you don't know where this fucker came from. You just know who they are now. This is a brief glimpse into their life with you know, R.P. It's the end of it, but still. And this is uh this is gonna be this is not what i expected when we were gonna do this best actor thing i was fairly certain this was gonna end with me picking either daniel day lewis marlon brando or chat nicholson but it when you're judging on the value of the performance at hand you got to disregard an actor's career and just focus on what this performance means to you personally and with that the winner of this is burt lancaster Yes. Bert, <laughs> the 16 seed, taking it all the way home, beating out Daniel Day-Lewis, Anthony Hopkins, Dustin Hoffman, and Jack Nicholson. He takes the crown. That was so much fun. <laughs> Bert Lancaster is an actor I have become obsessed with because of this show. Everything I've seen him in, he has been lights out. He is such a talented actor. He's one, like you said in the beginning, he's one of those actors that people just don't talk about anymore. Like our dinner, our generation doesn't know who he fucking is. And that yeah. is depressing because I love this guy. I love him in Elmer Gantry. I love him in From Here to Eternity. I love him in Judgment in Nuremberg. I fucking love this guy in Atlantic City. And I'm going to keep watching his work because I firmly believe he has an immeasurable talent that he brought to every performance. And he is starting to become my favorite actor of the 20th century. He's this close. And yeah. Elmer Gantry is the film that made me fall in love with this performance and this enigma of a character. And that is all I have to say about that in the words of Forrest Gump. <laughs> Perfect, man. I love it. I, I agree. I agree with all of that. I'm, I, I, I love all those guys we talked about. Uh, uh, of course, today, the only reason we could do that was because of James Cagney. <laughs> but, but these guys uh, that we got to talk about are, are legends it's a lot of fun to kind of reflect on what you've watched and which ones mean the most to you. And I, I, I'm with you. I think Burt Lancaster, James Stewart, and Humphrey Bogart through this show have stolen my heart. I knew a little bit about them, but then going into the, the, this show and watching more stuff, I'm just, I've, I've come out the other way like, holy shit, I, I really, really like these guys. They're not just these icons I kind of hear about when I'm reading yeah. about movie history these these are guys i really i really cherish their work you know yeah. uh and so yeah i'm, I'm never going to stop watching burt lancaster never going to stop seeking out movies the next one on my list it has been for a long time separate tables i gotta see that uh 1958 so yeah i'm always on the lookout yeah a long time ago before i you know before we had oscar sunday when i was filled incredibly not versed in films prior to 1980 really 
Mm-hmm. Um, I knew the name Burt Lancaster, but I didn't know anything about him. I thought he was British. He sounds British. The name Burt Lancaster sounds like he should be Sir Burt Lancaster. Yeah. yeah. But, and then I watched Judgment in Nuremberg and I saw this guy and I'm like, huh, this to play a sympathetic Nazi. That's, that's impressive. And then I told, yeah. I told my grandma who loves all of this stuff, everything we do pre like 1970, she fucking adores on this show. And when she found out I was going to watch Elmer Gantry for the podcast, she was like, oh my God, I haven't seen that movie in years, but that movie is incredible. You're going to love this guy. And I'm like, all right. And she was right. So thank you, my mom, for introducing me to Burt Lancaster. And yeah. Oh. Oh. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for participating. Uh, I will always be coming up with stuff like this when I can. Just to just to kind of not just not just talk about one thing or get too boring. I think jumping around like that every now and again is a lot of fun. And we just got to talk about 16 different dudes who have, have like a clear place in our lives, in our lives. <laughs> like we, we clearly know a lot about all of them from the one seed to the 16. So that was, that was great. Great. I'm always happy that you, uh, you bring the heat with those. Well, it's, it's, it's so much fun for me too. I get to kind of think about this shit. Like, who do I value more? And it is hard to have to make these decisions to have to tell myself like, yeah, Robert De Niro is no longer in this. And I'm like, that's no fault. His performance, his performance of Raging Bull is fantastic, but it is not, you know, better. It's not in my opinion, as good as what this may be. And that's just could be what I'm thinking now, a week from now, it could be completely different. I, yeah. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, one day you watch uh, one you haven't seen, right? You know, a, a best actor performance, and it's just like, oh fuck, this this is the one. You know, this is. If we're talking like full range of his career, that I like, if we're talking films he should have won for that he wasn't even up for, he totally takes this home for the king of comedy. Oh yeah, there you go, there you go. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's hard to you know, hard to wonder, but always fun to talk about. Yes. Yeah, it is. That's exactly right. <laughs> oh man. I love it. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about Yankee Doodle Dandy. What do you think? I, might as well. Sure. Why not? Uh, I, yeah. I want to talk about some more individuals. Uh, I've got six people I want to bring up here, uh, you know, pretty quickly. It doesn't have to take too long. Um, this movie's got some, got some heavy hitters, of course, Cagney himself, but the director of the film is Mr. Michael Curtis. Mm sure you've heard that name before if you've seen a movie called Casablanca uh he was nominated for best director one two three four five times uh with one win so Captain Blood 1935 Four Daughters 1938 Angels with Dirty Faces 1938 uh Yankee Doodle Dandy 1942 and Casablanca of course he won uh his only solo Oscar here as best director, Casablanca came out in 1942, but it missed the, like the cut, so it didn't compete until 1944. So, really, one of those weird ones where Casablanca actually came out technically the same year as Yankee Doodle Dandy, but didn't compete until the next Oscars. The 30s and 40s are filled with shit like this, where you're just like, "What the? Nothing makes sense." Uh, <laughs> sometimes foreign films don't compete for like a fucking decade, so <laughs> it's really it's really stupid. But this is this is an impressive resume. Uh, seen three of these movies uh haven't seen captain blood or four daughters yep i'm in the same boat i think it's interesting that captain blood was a write-in candidate 
apparently like not an official nomination, but enough people were like, give this guy an Oscar that he yeah. ended up on the ballot. Wouldn't that be cool if that happened now? We're like, oh, you know what? Fuck it. Put Robert Downey Jr. up for Iron Man. Come on. <laughs> With how fucking juvenile people are today, it'd be like Joaquin Phoenix competing against like these nuts or some stupid shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> so good. Uh, James Cagney, again, is kind of the reason we got to do the best actor conversation. Uh, he was nominated three times in the category, got one win. So he barely missed the cut. Uh, Bert has one win, four nominations. So that was kind of like the, that was it. Like, you can't be any lower than this, you know? And with, with Cagney, it's just, it's just three nominations and one win. So he uh, had Angels of Dirty Faces, Best Actor in a Lead Role. Again, a movie we talked about a long time ago on this show. Uh, he won, of course, for Yankee Doodle Dandy, 1942. And then his last nomination comes in 1955 for Love Me or Leave Me. Uh, haven't seen that one, but I, I, I like Cagney. You know, Cagney is a guy I'm definitely open to watching more stuff. He's impressed me in every movie he's in, even if the movie doesn't, you know, kind of win me over. Was remarkably wasn't up for white heat. I mean, his performance in that, <laughs> yeah, is fucking heat check. I mean, good lord. And I think it's interesting. I just looked up um, "Love Me or Leave Me." In that, he plays a gangster who marries a song and dance lady. So he gets to kind of combine oh, two things he's known for. <laughs> oh, that's that's perfect. That makes yeah. that makes total sense. Yeah, <laughs> Agni. Yeah, he's he's great. Uh, he his his eyes are. I've talked about uh, Bogey. Bogey has some of the most amazing eyes I've ever seen on, on the screen. Cagney's in that, that conversation. He just, it's like, holy shit. You know, you can't look away. <laughs> he looks like bizarro Jack Lemon. Yeah. Like, yes. like an evil yes. Jack Lemon. <laughs> That's perfect. I love Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon uh, also was someone that I thought about for, but. Neither of us have seen uh, what's the one from the seventies that he won. Uh, save the tiger. Yeah, save the tiger. Uh, neither of us have really seen that, you know. So, love the dude, but he also missed the cut. Um, Walter Houston. Holy shit! It was weird to see him in Yankee Doodle Dandy as the the father, the father of the the Cohen family, a guy that sh- shattered my entire world. Uh, on the Hamlet episode when we watched Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Just one of my favorite supporting roles of all time. I gotta say, I, I hope it was, I hope they used a lot of makeup in Treasure of the Sierra Madre because this dude, if not, this guy aged like milk over the span of six years. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Jesus, he had a rough go of it for those six years to end up looking like a crazy prospector in 1948. Yeah, but, he, he, he passed away in 1950. I wonder, yeah, if there's those last couple of years, he's just like, fuck it. Maybe. What 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 killed him? Uh, aneurysm. Oh, shit. Ugh, that sucks. Maybe it was stress. It um, very, well, very well could have been, yeah. He's fairly underwhelming in Yankee Doodle Dandy. I'm surprised at the nomination. Me too. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It must be partly because of who he is but yeah i didn't think uh he was that great he was nominated in 1936 for dodsworth best actor uh all that money can buy 1941 best actor and then yankee doodle dandy 1942 for supporting and then he won on his last nomination ever 1948 treasure of the sierra madre so yeah nice little resume but 
until I see Dodsworth and all that money can buy, that's when I'll kind of make my call on, on these movies. Cause he's great in one and so, so on the other. Yeah. I think this guy's, you know, biggest contribution to cinema was creating a dynasty that has lasted to this day in the Houston family. Jack Houston, baby. Love Jack Houston. <laughs> just, yeah. John Houston, Angelica Houston, like these, yeah. these power players who just helped change the landscape. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love Angelica Houston's just popped up in so many of my, my favorite personal favorite things. I, I, it's like, she has a, a pulse, you know, on, on like what, what I, what Austin Johnson loves. <laughs> it's really <laughs> cool. She's fantastic. Uh, that's actually it for the cast. Cagney and Houston, uh, of course, Michael Curtis, the director. So I found three other people here that are kind of, you know, behind the camera. One of them is the composer for the film, uh, Ray Heindorf. Uh, I wasn't, you know, uh, with this movie, you obviously got a lot of sing, song and dance. And then you get kind of, you, you kind of get confused in what's score, what's soundtrack, what's this, what's that, you know, because uh, there's music playing a lot in this film. So I didn't really remember too much of the score. Well, the score, it's all like hyper American propaganda songs, like Grand Old Flag. Yeah, yeah, it's just these sing song, yeah, USA, USA, USA. Thinking a movie about a guy who really was like a premier Broadway star, the score would be one of the standouts, but you know, yeah, yeah. Well. This, this guy is uh, definitely a standout when it comes to composers being nominated. Uh, bear with us. Uh, he won for Yankee Doodle Dandy, best scoring of a musical picture. He won for This is the Army, 1943, best scoring of a musical picture. And then he was nominated for Up in Arms, 1944, Hollywood Canteen, 1944, Wonder Man, 1945, Rhapsody in Blue, 1945, San Antonio, 1945, Night and Day, 1946. My Wild Irish Rose, 1947. Romance on the High Seas, 1948. Look for the Silver Lining, 1949. The West Point Story, 1950. The Jazz Singer, 1952. Calamity Jane, 1953. A Star is Born, 1954. Damn Yankees, 1958. Finally, here's a win in 1962 for The Music Man. Makes sense. Uh, and then his last nomination, 1968, Finian's Rainbow. Good Lord. The Music Man? Have you, have you ever seen that? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> it's Yankee Doodle Dandy mixed with Elmer Gantry. It's a con man <laughs> preacher dude who tricks a, a town into forming an orchestra, and then he actually follows through on it. It's actually a pretty sweet movie. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. No, I haven't seen a lot of these movies that, that I just went through. Star is Born is the one that jumps out the most. Yeah. 1954 classic. So this is, this is wild though. Just handfuls of, of, of nominations. Yeah. It usually is with composers. They, mm -hmm. they usually have just a laundry list of nominations. Well, we've seen uh, most of these shows, there's like fucking 20 people nominated each year. So it's like, well, yeah, makes sense that you're nominated every year. You know, True. let's look for example here. Uh, God, there's like 30 movies up for best documentary. Uh, Fuck. Wait, look at the, look at the score. One. For, good God. Oh my God. And they're all from like the military. Yeah. 
four winners for best documentary. Uh, best music has, yeah, like 20 and then like eight in the other one. Yeah, just fucking bonkers. Best original song is about 10. Best sound recording is about 15. Yeah, it's just silly, silly as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it makes sense that these people are nominated over and over and over. Uh, next guy. Next guy I want to bring up is uh, our cinematographer, which there's some cool stuff going on in Yankee Doodle Dandy. There's uh, a particular scene where I was kind of stunned by how things were moving and how things were shot and the lighting. I thought it was really cool. Uh, so this is another guy who has a, has a lot to say here. Best cinematography uh, nominations for James Wong Howe. Check it out. Algiers, 1938. Abe Lincoln in Illinois, 1940. King's Row, 1942. The North Star, 1943. Air Force, 1943. Winner for Best Cinematography, The Rose Tattoo, 1955. The Old Man in the Sea, 1958, nomination. Another win in 1963 for HUD, a movie that I just fucking gotta see. Uh, seconds from 1966, he gets nominated. And then his last nomination is Funny Lady, 1975. Wow. Pretty impressive. That's like 40 years of, <laughs> of work where he's nominated in almost every decade. So uh, it's some movies that I definitely want to see or, you know, I know have a good reputation. Yeah, same here. Uh, it is odd. I know I'm, I wanted to be t- say this delicately. It's you don't see a lot of Asian cinematographers in the 40s. No. And especially with, you know, what we, I know he's Chinese, but we tend to not notice little details in America. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed and glad he was able to get work. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, there's, there's definitely a conversation to be had just about what a feat that is. Uh, he, he was born in China and moved here at a young age to Washington state and yeah, in the thirties, that's just, that's just not really uh, a thing you hear much about. You don't see very many names in the, in the credits and in the, you know, cast and crew that are something like James Wong Howe. So it's very cool. I would love to learn more about him. Uh, Scott, he had, has to have a fascinating life and some stories that I'm sure are, are crazy, you know, in this really dark, nasty industry that we love. Uh I, yeah, I, that, that struck me right away, man. I don't think that's really, I would, I would, I would think it's weird to not talk about it, to just be like, Oh, it's normal. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. So that guy should be getting his flowers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you, man. Oh man. Um, last guy I want to talk about here, uh, before we kind of breeze through the 15th Academy Awards and talk about our awards, uh, is George Amy, the film editor for Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh, not, you know, only, only three nominations altogether here, but movies we've already brought up. Uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy nominated in 1942. Air Force got the win in 1943. Uh, movie that all these guys seem to have worked on. Rain Heindorf and James Wong Howe and George Amy. So that's cool. <laughs> and then nominated in 1945 for Objective Burma. All film editing. Um, gotta think that it's not an easy job to just take hours and hours of Cagney singing and dancing. <laughs> like, 
Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Got to splice this stuff together. Uh, I'm always fascinated by the people who are kind of in the, the cutting room, you know, making, making those hard decisions. Uh, I'm sure I would not get along with a lot of them, but at the same time, what a fascinating job. Oh yeah. I've always thought I'd make a pretty decent editor, but then again, I don't know how to do it. So that's probably a pipe dream. And I'm sure any real film editor out there is like, shut the fuck up, kid. So (laughs) shit's fucking hard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell do you know about it? Yeah. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Well, man, um, we could just make fun of the 15th Academy Awards for having 19 fucking nominees in every category. You know, uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy, I mentioned earlier, has eight nominations altogether, three wins. We've kind of talked about them here through these people. And definitely, we both definitely appreciate what Cagney is doing. But uh, it's, it's not a movie that I think, if it, the category were just five movies, I don't think Yankee Doodle Dandy should be anywhere near it. No, me too. It's pretty atypical. I mean, um, I'm st- it's pretty typical of this time. Uh, combines, you know, big budget musical with World War II, you know, pro-American propaganda, which was just being pumped out of Hollywood in the yeah. early 40s. Just nonstop, you know, you can do it, you know, do your part. And yeah, I mean, a lot of it was justified and we did win. And that's one of the few wars where I'm like, 100% certain. Yeah, we were the good guys, <laughs> which is nice. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's why it's there's so many movies, <laughs> but, you know, based on the, you know, 40s, 30s, 40s, World War II. It just, yeah, it's a it's a time where Americans can actually be proud. Yeah, like <laughs> we just we never really stopped making them. You know, we, there's still World War II movies all the time with different very popular. And, yeah. Yeah. Different soldiers getting their spotlights, true stories. And that's great. I love a good war film. Just you have to acknowledge that at its core, it is propaganda and you are pretty much being, you know, a little bit brainwashed every time. But if you can accept that, you know, fuck it, lay back and drink your cool, drink your Kool-Aid. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Just like when you're watching a biopic, you're like, okay, some of this is exaggerated. It's okay. Just take it with a grain of salt. Like get this George M. Cohen fucking hated FDR. He was a diehard Republican, and he said, I don't want your medal. So that didn't happen in the movie. <laughs> no, they definitely skipped that whole bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> did you did you find it easy to pick awards for it, or were you kind of like, ah, fuck? This was tough. This, this was really tough. Yeah. I, I, I've noticed that it's easy to pick things for a great movie. It's easy to pick things for a bad movie. It's those middle of the road movies that aren't great and aren't terrible that are just impossible to like put in a box. Mm. And this is one of those times. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I, I did not have an easy time either. Except for one of them. One of them is pretty obvious, but the rest <laughs> yeah, was, was kind of up in the air. Um, <clears throat> If you're still with us, thank you for being here. This has been a really fun episode. Had a blast talking about Al Pacino versus fucking Jack Nicholson and DiCaprio versus Brando. That was great. Uh, here, here on Oscar Sunday, we always give out awards to whatever movie we're talking about. And we have uh, four of them. The first one being the Quentin Tarantino Award for best line or quote from the movie. Uh, we have the Ennio Morricone Award for best music moment. 
best piece of score, best soundtrack moment, whatever it is. We have the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance of the movie. And finally, we have the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene, most well-constructed scene of the film in our eyes. So I'll let you take it away with your Tarantino. I found a decent one, but yeah, this is not, not easy. No. Uh, I had one that made me chuckle. It's, uh, we meet, I think his name was Foy. Uh, the rival. Eddie Foy, uh, yeah. Eddie Foy. And he's, he sees the uh, George M. Cohen's big ad for his new play. And he, so he goes, I wonder what the M is for. And someone goes, modesty. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that made me laugh. So that, that, that's, my, uh, that's my Tarantino. Fantastic. Yeah, sometimes we do this award and it takes like 10 minutes for us to get through. Oh my God, this screenplay. Like I, I remember when we talked about The Incredibles, we were like, holy fuck. You know? And here we are talking about fucking yankee doodle and we can't we can't get anything uh <laughs> i i was watching the movie and i i what i usually do with this award is i, I write them all out on my phone and if my phone's next to me uh and if something catches my eye i write it down you know real quick i put it in my notes and with this movie it just kind of kept going kept going and i was like oh fuck I didn't write anything down except for the PSH and the Deacons. So shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what am I going to do? So I had to just kind of go back and look on some of the IMDb quotes and I had to kind of, you know, just do it that way. Uh, and this, this, I kind of missed this. Uh, this is something that I thought was kind of cool and kind of, kind of underlying type thing about, about entertainment. It's uh, George M. Cohen is talking to Sam Harris in the movie and uh, the, the back and forth goes uh, from, from George Cohen to Sam Harris. And he says, thanks, Sam. It'll be great as long as those critics don't start to eat off my leg. Sam Harris says, oh, don't you worry about the critics. You've got to smash it. It's in the air, kid. It's in the air. You can't stop anything that's in the air. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree. I agree with that. I think when a movie or a TV show grabs hold of, of whatever, you know, is happening, kind of make the world stop. Like Breaking Bad, that last season of Breaking Bad, it seemed like, I think it was on on Sundays, every Sunday night, it was like, fucking, everything stops. This is what we're fucking doing. I think with Infinity War and Endgame, people were just like, shut the fuck up. This is what's happening, you know? <laughs> yeah. Nothing else culturally matters. And I like that he said that in this. He's like, dude, you're you're a star. Like you, you, you made it, you made a smash hit, dude. You're, you're on top. Enjoy it. Cause so many times these people that get to the top of the mountain, they don't really know where to go, but up, they're like, I got to keep going. I got to keep, keep doing this. And George M. Cohen is like that. He's like, well, what can I do next? You know, what can, what great adventure can I, can I go on? And I, I love when a movie kind of calls out what entertainment is. And when you're saying it's in the air, it's in the air, you can't stop anything that's in the air. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I think when someone takes hold of culture, it's, it's very hard to stop that momentum. That's insightful as hell. That's a really good pick. I like that. Mine was just like, ah, like funny joke. You actually put some thought into it. I, well done. That's because I didn't write anything down during the movie. <laughs> and I went back <laughs> and I was reading them on IMDb and I was like, oh, this is kind of kind of cool. And then I remember that scene and I was like, okay, all right. I can dig that. Um, this is the one I had the most tough time with, though. The Ennio Morricone. Uh, I mean, well, I, yeah, what'd you get? Because I just kind of fucking threw my dart. 
That's crazy. In a, in a movie about music, how, like it's it's really kind of sad that we both had a problem finding a good one here. Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh yeah. Mine was the first performance of the Yankee Doodle Boy. Mm. Uh, when he's testing it out for the the investor that him and Sam kind of swindle. Uh, and he just kind of plays it. And you can see that, that both of them, Sam and this guy, are both like, wow, what is this? Like lightning in a bottle. And he's just so, it's such an infectious tune that my whole family kind of randomly will just burst into singing the Yankee Doodle Boy. This, this film's oddly important to my family, which I found so strange. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, it just, I knew that was coming and I was like, yeah, okay, that's cute. This is nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. I, I, I went with a pretty basic, uh, give my regards to Broadway. Kind of clever. It's cl- that's a clever song. I, I don't know. I, I thought about, I guess, you know, my mind went to guys like Bob Fosse who are just obsessed with this world, the theatrical and the stage. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe they were inspired by this. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, maybe. I mean, I'm sure in some circles this dude's like, you know, an American icon, a legend. But I don't run in those circles, so I don't have any emotion. Yeah, yeah. I his, got no Nick, emotional his, connection to this guy. His, like, title, uh, uh, George M. Cohen was the man who owned Broadway, you know? Uh, like, so, I, I just don't know about that stuff at all. Like, it's not, it's not my realm, not my world, but Occasionally, I will enjoy musicals, just very rare. Like you mentioned earlier, from the 20th century, I just, I have a hard time with this genre. They're all pretty much the same. There's no, there's not a lot of variety. They're all following a similar story with very similar sounding songs and score. It's hard to place, you know, if you play me the score from three different ones, I don't think I'm going to be able to tell you what movie it's from. Exactly. I remember talking about that a lot when we did uh, 1959's Anatomy of a Murder. Because fucking Duke Ellington. (laughs) And we were like, that makes a huge difference in a 50s or 50s movie when you have like a a distinct musical taste and style and touch. Damn straight. Damn straight. Oh, man. All right. We got two more awards left, my man. And we can get the hell out of here. Uh, (laughs) Yankee Doodle. Get the. I'm starting to think this this movie is kind of like a six. Maybe a seven is too good. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of thinking the same. I think I was like, ah, oh, Cagney, but is that enough? I don't know. Uh, the PSH. Yeah, it's Cagney. Cagney. Who yeah, else it's is going to be? It's James Cagney by leaps and bounds. It's not even close. <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's, you know, he's clearly in his element. He's been wanting to do something like this. He finally gets the chance. He gets to show off his immense talents as a showman. And that's great. I'm happy for him. Uh, I just wish the film had been more better constructed for it for as a vehicle for him uh yeah he's good but he might not be enough to hold this thing together I, I thought he was but the more i talk about him more i'm like i don't know yeah i i'll i'll suggest checking out white heat over it yes 10 times out of 10 <laughs> very yeah very true i honestly i angels with dirty faces in the public enemy i thought had more over this one too. And yeah, I gave those both go. sevens. So what does that say? What does that say about, about Yankee Doodle? <laughs> uh, here we are, the Deacons, the last award of the night. 
Uh, usually this is the most fun, but uh, I, I, I just didn't really know what to go with here. Uh, I, yeah, super tough. Uh, I chose um, the first meeting between George and Mary when she thinks he's this old, like 70-year-old theater man who's been in this game for 60 years and tries to ask him sage advice. And, she, and he's just like, well, I'm going to mess with this girl a little bit. <laughs> like that was funny. Like, yeah, when you're my like when you get to be my age, you know, you gotta think about like, did I try hard enough? And then he like dances for her, and he's got the wild ferocity of a 20-year-old, and she's just like, How are you doing that? I thought that was that was funny. <laughs> yeah, it's great. He 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 really does uh use his space to his advantage, James Cagney. Yeah, he's able to able to kind of dance around and I can't tell how tall he is. Is he short? Is he a short guy? He you know, seems like a short guy. Let me look that up. The way, yeah, like you said, he's just kind of like a Tasmanian devil, just kind of bouncing around. Like it's it's pretty pretty fun to watch. Cagney uh, was, was a great scene. Yeah, true. He was oh, he was only five foot four. He was really short. Holy shit. Yeah, that's yeah. that's small. Yeah. Explains the the chip on on all of his gangster's shoulder there. <laughs> yeah, little man syndrome. Yeah, just kind of like, ah, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect it makes it makes sense that he could pull that off uh low center of gravity too for dancing can just kind of yeah. i think the choreography won him the oscar it had to have i mean in terms of performance there's a few like moments that stand out like when he's talking to his dad on his deathbed but overall the dancing is the stuff that had me most invested even the songs i thought were kind of half-assed sometimes oh yeah extremely i I was just like, oh shit, this is kind of a letdown, you know. Mm. You you thought this production was going to be really amazing, but it's just kind of redundant at times. But I did. I mentioned this to you last night when we got to see fucking Dan Cummins at the Laugh Out Loud Comedy Club in Fuck San yeah. Antonio. Yeah, that was an absolute blast. Uh, that was Thursday night. We're recording this late Friday night. If you're listening, it's fucking Sunday. So yeah, a lot, a lot lots happening. But I remember telling you, I did really like the, the little medley scene where it's just fucking bouncing around and you got the hits are playing, you know, big time hits from, from Yankee Doodle Dandy. And this is where the cinematography gets really interesting, where it's edited. It's very advanced. There's not a lot of 40s movies that move this seamlessly through these big choreographed scenes just not easy to do. And I was, I was pretty impressed by it. And it was the one time where I was kind of glued to the screen where I was like, Holy shit, I don't want to look at anything else. This is wild. Uh, and, and for that, you know, I, I have some respect for it. You know, I, I have some respect for the movie because of that, because of Cagney, but overall, I don't really recommend this movie uh, unless you really like this era and you really like musicals, but I, I don't know, man, it's, it's definitely one of the in-betweeners that we've done on the show. Yeah, that, that always kind of sucks. I, I I look forward to either praising a masterpiece or trashing a piece of shit. It's, like I said, this middle ground that we're kind of just like, eh. It's hard to kind of pick a lane on that. Yeah. Usually Oscar Sunday gives us uh, something to be really excited about. And that's why I think, you know, when you get used to doing Awakenings and Truman Show, you know, and Unforgiven, and then you get that random, you know, fucking... Yankee Doodle one in there, you know, you just, you get thrown off a little bit. You're like, oh shit, I was just giving out nines and tens. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
Uh, but, you know, we did on this run, we did get the heiress, which was something special. Yeah, we got to talk more about Charlie Chapman, Monster Verdue. I loved that. I love doing that. And yeah, the heiress is fantastic. Spellbound, we were a little bit uh, different. We had different opinions on that one. And I think we think similar, similar here uh, on Yankee Doodle. But next week, next week, you know what time it is, man. It's episode 65, which means it's the best picture showdown coming you guys' way. Connor and I have been doing uh, some legwork, uh, doing movies from 1946, the 19th Academy Awards. The best picture winner is the best years of our lives. We're going to be talking about that movie a lot. We're going to give awards out to it next week. It is a winner that neither of us have seen. We're both very excited to finally get to it. Uh, this group of nominees is just five. That's partly why we chose this year. <laughs> uh, it, it includes Henry V, uh, fucking Lawrence Olivier. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Frank Capra, the legend, you know, with, with Jimmy Stewart giving one of his best performances. How did we not mention that when we were talking about James Stewart? I just, that just, it's, so, <laughs> it's such an iconic, like great movie. One of the best American, you know, kind of family movies of all time. So <laughs> that's funny. And then we have uh, to finish off the razor's edge and the yearling. So next week, come on back first episode 65. Always fun to do a best picture showdown. Talk about five different movies. We're going to rank them. We're going to hone in on best years of our lives. We finally get to see Frederick March in one of his winning performances. He would have been in this tournament had to be seen these movies. So I, I, I'm really excited. Also, Olivia de Havilland wins her other Oscar here uh, and to each, his, to each his home. I might try to just watch that if I have any time because I love her. Uh, please, please join us next week. It's going to be a, an absolute treat to finish off the 40s with this, this, this showdown of a movie we haven't seen. Very true. And the best years of our lives is particularly special because it has um, performances from actual wounded veterans of World War II. Uh, the war ended in 45. This film came out in 46. It was all still fresh. And this is a film about the consequences of that war at home and coming back to a world that might not seem as familiar as it did when you left. And I'm sure this is going to be a very poignant, reflective film on war. And I'm looking forward to this a lot. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, on the Filmgasm podcast on Wednesday, uh, we're covering Candyman in preparation of the uh, new one finally coming out next Friday, or this Friday, I guess. Uh, Fantastic. So excited. And then tomorrow's sneak preview is going to be covering a number of films, all of which are getting horrific reviews, uh, apart from The Night House, a random horror film starring Rebecca Hall, that we will probably be making our primary focus. So, Perfect. Yeah, look forward to that. Uh, this was fun. Uh, wish this film had been better, but honestly, not all that surprised. <laughs> Shit happens. Shit happens indeed. <laughs> With that in mind, uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week.